Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. All right. Good morning. My name is Tim, and I get to serve on the teaching team here at Hillcrest Chapel and uh, consider it a real honor to get to do so. Uh, I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles if you want to follow along. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 4 verse 9 this morning. And uh, Genesis 4, just so we know where we're at, uh, this is, we're picking up with the first siblings in scripture, Cain and Abel. And if you've probably heard the story of Cain and Abel before. But Cain gets envious of Abel's relationship with God, and Cain makes the decision to, uh, to actually kill Abel, which is it's this tragedy right at the beginning of the biblical story. Um, and we're going to pick up here, although I, it's a tragedy, and yet sometimes as a parent, I'm slightly comforted by it. Um, <laughs> if I'm totally honest, my kids are at each other. I'm like, well, it's kind of been from the beginning. Um, but... Uh, but Cain and Abel, and we're going to pick up here with uh, the Lord is addressing uh, Cain. In verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. And listen to this, am I my brother's keeper? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And uh, the word keeper there, the Hebrew behind it, it's a participle. It's like the keeping one. Am I the keeping one of my brother? And the verb is shamar. Am I the shamaring one? Shamar. Uh, everybody say shamar. Shamar. So shamar means uh, to keep or to be responsible for or to watch over or to guard. Am, am I the one? Am I the one responsible for my brother? Am I the one to watch over my brother? Am I supposed to be guard or care for my brother? And scripturally, at, what what is the answer? What is the answer Scripture gives to that question? That we're supposed the implied correct answer. Yes, yes, you are, Cain. Yes, we are. Like we are called to be people who like we are called to be people keepers. That's a, that's a primary ethical thrust through the Hebrew Scriptures. We are called to be. Keep our brother, keep our sister, keep the foreigner, keep the widow, keep the orphan. We're called to be people keepers. Jesus would even say we're called to keep our enemies, to care, to watch over, to guard. The, the, you know, the, the, the main commandments in Scripture, love God and love your neighbor. And what is loving your neighbor if not people keeping? Shamar. So, Turn now, if you will, flip back over a page to Genesis chapter 2. It's just a page to the left. Unless you have a very tiny Bible, then it's probably several pages. But Genesis 2, uh, 15. Uh, we, this is now, this is before Cain and Abel. This is the first uh, humans in, you've heard of the Garden of Eden before. This is the few, first humans in the Garden of Eden. I want to look at the instruction that God gives those first humans. Listen to this, Genesis 2, 15. The, the Lord God took the man, took the human, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So there's these two things the man's supposed to do, to work the garden and take care of the garden. And can you guess what Hebrew word is behind the phrase, take care of the garden? Shamar. 
that the first man is put in the garden to shamar it, to keep it, to be responsible for it, to watch over it, to guard it, to shamar. That, that there's this land-keeping, earth-keeping vocation, job description given to humans right at the beginning. And so you could even go through the Hebrew scriptures and say that there are these two big ethical thrusts in the Hebrew scriptures, people keeping and earth keeping. And when you read them, so much of the Torah is about how people relate to one another and relate to the land that God has given them, people keeping and earth keeping. Shamar. We, uh, We've been in this series of teachings outside, and we had verbs every week, right? So we did walk, we did listen, we did climb, last week was taste, and today is cultivate. This idea of growing or care or keeping the garden. God, God says to humans, hey, here's my garden, will you take care of it for me? This cultivation is the verb for the day. And uh, while I... Uh, explore this idea of cultivation, I want to put something in your hand while we talk about it. So I want to invite our, our ushers, who I think are in the know on this, to uh, come forward. And we have baskets of seeds. Could I grab one packet so I can just have it in my own hand? And could you just start passing these out, passing these down the aisles? These are seeds. I'm going to invite you to plant these. And so if you're willing to plant them, would you please take a packet? If you're like, well, I'm not going to do that, or we just need one packet for our family, that's fine. Um, But if you're willing to plant these, would you grab a packet and then hold it while we talk this morning? Um, Carol Sweaty and some friends put this together for us. I don't know if she's here today, but thank you very much. Uh, These are, I'm going to butcher this, Love in the Mist, the, 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 the Latin name is Nigella Damascena, but it's a, uh, it's a flower that's planted in the fall and then um, blooms in the springtime. But I wanted, I wanted us to have actual seeds in our hands as we talk about cultivation today. So uh, question for you. When, uh, when, you hear, when you hear the word cultivate, like cultivated garden, or when you hear the, the phrase earthkeeping, Think to yourself, what, what pops into your head? When you hear cultivated garden or earth keeping, what images or associations or feelings come to your mind? When, uh, wh- I think probably for some of us, when you hear cultivated garden, I think probably for some of us, that's, super, that's very life-giving. So my, Christy, my wife, loves gardening. And we have, not only do plants multiply in our backyard, but garden boxes. They, they seem to be breeding because there's more and more of them all the time. And f- vegetables and flowers. We have like a, 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 our house is like barricaded by rose bushes. And just, that she, like it's so life-giving to her. For me, when, when I think about cultivating a garden, I picture my grandma Nip. Grandma Nip always had a flower garden in her backyard. And so when I hear the word like cultivated garden, I think, oh, that's so nice for grandmas. <laughs> like, honestly, that's, it's not, mount, I talked about climb mountains a couple weeks ago. That comes naturally to me. Like, 
cultivate a garden is like, oh, that's so nice. Yeah, for my grandmother. It doesn't, that's not, it's not naturally, but it's something that I've been learning about in scripture and God's been shaping my heart on. Or maybe you hear earth keeping and you hear that and maybe you're in tentacle. Like, oh, is this, is this another way the church is going to get political, environmental stuff? Is this, maybe you're in tentacle up on that. Or maybe you get excited about that. Maybe you're, you're an environmental science major and you're studying about how to caretake this earth well. And you're like, yes, I know this is in scripture. I'm so pumped about this. What comes to your mind? When you hear these phrases, cultivate, earth-keeping, land-keeping, what pops, what associations, what images come into your head? I want to talk for a moment about what images would have come into an ancient Israelite's mind when they heard the phrase, keep the garden. I want to talk about what the first readers and hearers of this text, what they would have heard and imagined when they heard the phrase, work and take care of the garden. Uh, the, this, this Genesis 2.15, we talked about a moment ago. The, it reads, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And I think there's, this is so fascinating what the author is doing here with the exact verb. So there's two, there's two instructions the human is given towards the garden, right? To work it, work it. Work it and take care of it. These two verbs. And, the, and the, 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 the second verb we've already talked about is shamar. Everybody together. Shamar. And the first verb that, is, that says work it is avad. Everybody say avad. avad. All right. Everyone say avad and shamar. Two, so there are these two verbs, two imperatives. Uh, the human is put in the garden to avad and shamar, uh, to work, or avad means work or serve, and then shamar, which means to, to keep or guard or be responsible for or care for. Avad and shamar are the garden. Now, both of these verbs, are, they're common in Scripture. Avad happens all over the place in Scripture. Shamar happens all over the place in Scripture. They're common verbs, except it's not common for them to occur together. Only a few instances to these verbs occur in the same sentence or the immediate context. And so when we see them in the immediate context here in Genesis, we, if we want to know what would come to an Israelite's mind, we need to look at where else do they occur right together that might be being evoked here. Does that make sense? So turn, flip over if you're following your Bible to Numbers chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 7. So uh, Numbers 3, verse 7, it's talking about the Levites serving in the tabernacle or temple. These are people carrying out priestly responsibilities in the tabernacle or temple. In verse 7, it's talking about these responsibilities in this temple area. They are to shamar for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle or temple, the tent of meeting. Um, as they avod at the tabernacle, they are to shamar all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites as they avod the tabernacle. These, these people carrying out these priestly responsibilities, they were avoding and shamaring in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, which was later, this is, becomes the temple. Flip over a page a little further to the right. Numbers chapter 8, verse 26. This is talking about these same Levites carrying out these same priestly responsibilities in the same tabernacle or temple. And this is about forced retirement. Listen to this. 
but at the age of 50, they must retire from the regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers as they shamar at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must no longer avod. So the earliest example of forced retirement I know of, but what are the two imp- the implied responsibilities being carried out by these people before age 50? Avad and Shamar. Turn over a little farther. Numbers chapter 18. This is about the, the, the descendants of Aaron who served at priests in the temple. 18 verse 5. You are to be responsible to Shamar the sanctuary and the altar. And then skipping down to verse 6. I myself have dedicated you to the Lord to Avad at the tent of meeting. I mean, this is fascinating to me. What do the priests and Levites do in the temple? There's two verbs that occur together over and over again when describing what priests do in the temple. What do they do? They avod and shamar. They avod and shamar. They avod and shamar. So if you're an ancient Israelite, and this is, you, when you think of priests, you think of them avad and shamar in the temple to serve and work and to care for or protect in the temple. You picture them doing this. And then you hear through God speaking through his sacred scriptures, you humans are put in the garden to avad and shamar it. What comes to your mind? If you're an ancient Israelite, and you are living in the promised land, and you've got a little ancestral plot of land, and, um, and, and you have some wheat fields and a little, some grape vines and a little olive grove, and you know this plot of the promised land that God has given this land, and you're called to steward it for God, and it's supposed to be like a new garden of Eden you're supposed to care for, it. and you know that this land, you are called to avod and shamar it. What, when you when you think of yourself avodding and shamaring this little land you've given, been given for your family, what kind of work do you picture yourself doing there? Priestly work. Temple work. Sacred work. This is the kind of work you avod and shamar the land the Lord God has given you. And so when we when we are out working on the land, when we're, when we're mowing or, or composting or, or planting flowers or harvesting vegetables or, or when we're working with this land, what kind of work does Scripture invite us to imagine ourselves doing? Priestly work. Temple care work. Holy work. Avad. And Shamar. Avad and Shamar. Now, um, now maybe you hear that. And I and I got I told you know, I mentioned earlier that um, for me gardening you know brings them images of of uh, my grandmother, and that very nice for, for my grandmother. And maybe you hear that, and, and like me, because like, my first reaction, this is, some, this is something that I feel like God has been trying to shape my heart in through Scripture over the years. Because I think for a long time, my reaction would be, you know, I'm lugging grass clippings to the compost bin. My gut reaction is not, it's priestly work. 
<laughs> it's holy work. My gut reaction is like these grass clippings and the compost and just get done this all in my eyes. And that's not my, I mean, some people, they're just like, this is what they're wired for. And they're like, yes, I've always sensed it's holy work. And then others of us is like, no, Tim, it's just work. You just got to get the lawn mowed. You know what I mean? But I, you know, and I want, as I've, I, like, I, as I see that reaction in myself, I even find myself wondering, like, but how much, maybe it's a, mis- maybe I have a mistaken notion of what it was like to be a priest. I imagine those priests in the temple. And yes, they would have sang and they would have prayed, but they also, it was like the major meat processing plant of the country, right? All of you, normally you ate vegetarian fare except for certain feasts when you would sacrifice animals, and that usually happened at the temple. So this is where animals were processed and barbecued, and people had feasts. Christian talked about this last week. You'd go have these big barbecue feasts. So, you know, these, te- these priests, they're, they're butchering animals, and they're, men- they're keeping fires going, and they're, you know, they're mopping up blood. Do you think the priests are mopping up blood, and they're thinking... Holy work, holy work. You know, this is, no, that's, you're right. It's not that it's magical, like this, it's glorious. But it's, there, there, it, I think they, but there would have been this deep understanding as the priest came, that this is a sacred space. It doesn't mean everything I do is this kind of exotic, kind of, you know, magical thing. But it, as I take care, as I fix the furnishings of the temple and mop the floor and, 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 and as I teach and all of this, there's this sense of this is a sacred space. I am discharging a sacred responsibility. It's holiness does not come because it makes me feel magical. It's holiness comes because of the one it belongs to. And I wonder then for myself, if, is, is my mistake that I expect it to feel a certain way? And maybe rather I need to remind myself, as Scripture says over and over again, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I am called to Avad and Shamar. We, uh, you know, here at Hillcrest, we, we say our, our tagline, love God, grow together, and care for the world. And that, that last phrase, we carefully chose it because we, we include in that we, the announcement of the good news of Jesus, the verbal proclamation. We include in that compassion and mercy towards those in need, acts of justice. But we also want to catch in that umbrella our Avad and Shamar work for non-human creation, that this is part of the vocation given to image bearers in the very beginning. Avad and Shamar. Now, um, why? I just want to just you know cultivate. I just want to speak for a second. Why does God give us this vocation, this job description? Why does He do it? Why this Avad and Shamar? And I and I think that there's one emphasis that we could focus on this kind of the responsibility to creation emphasis, this responsibility to caretaker to steward emphasis, kind of this ethical thrust. We could explore that and that's important, but there's this, this other thrust that I just want to kind of bring our attention to for a moment. And it's this, the way that we are shaped as we carry out our Avad and Shamar work. The way that we are changed, the way we are transformed, the things we learn, the things we learn about God as we avod and shamar. Have you ever been, have you ever been given a responsibility? Have you ever been given a task? You've been put in charge of something, and a big part of it 
was the way caring for that thing would change you? If you, if you talk to, uh, if you talk to uh, new parents, a lot of the times the, one of the main things they'll talk about is how much their hearts are being shaped to understand the heart of God as they carry out this, this responsibility of parenting. That carrying out certain responsibilities, it shapes up, it, it opens up certain new windows for us, that we see and experience things that we wouldn't otherwise, the way that carrying out this responsibility shapes us. I think about those priests, and yes, there, somebody had to f- take care of the temple, but I wonder how much they were shaped, they learned about God as they did it, how much they encountered and saw God as they worked and understood about who God was and what he was doing in the world. And, and so I, I want to just draw our attention to how God might want to reveal himself and shape our hearts as we carry out our, our tasks of Avad and Shamar. There's this, uh, this text in, uh, actually, before we go to this text, I just want to maybe just to say a little more about that. Um, because if you think about it, like creation, and Christian talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about listen, creation, it, it's the, it, it speaks to us about God's character about how he works, how he operates. I mean, even think about when, when Jesus is describing his kingdom, he's looking for metaphors for his kingdom. What kind of metaphors does Jesus use over and over again? Doesn't he use like planting seeds and harvesting and mustard seeds and yeast in dough and farmers out in fields? Aren't, aren't those metaphors that Jesus goes to over and over again? That there's something, Jesus is saying there's something about things growing about you know, when you take a seed, there's something about like you take, look, grab your seeds right now. If you have them, hold them up. How tiny are those? There's, and it's like Jesus is saying, there's something about taking this little black dot that basically looks like dirt and putting it in more dirt and then giving it time and darkness and that you receive back. You literally get a work of art in return. A work of art just comes out of the ground. And it's like Jesus saying, there's something about that, about burying this thing and waiting and just receiving the free gift of a work of art. There's something about growing things that captures the way my kingdom works, the gift nature of it, the gracious nature of it. And, and I, I think there's a way that creation and art, God says, I want you to interact with my creation, to cultivate, because there's, there's ways that will shape you, and I will reveal things about myself to you. Um, John, in John 12, Jesus talks directly about himself in this way, and there's this beautiful encounter. It's the last week of Jesus' life, and he's, he's in Jerusalem, and there are these out-of-towners, these Greeks, and they say this powerful line. They, they, they find one of Jesus' apprentices, Philip, and they say to Philip, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Which I, you could meditate just on that. We want to see Jesus. And they, uh, his apprentices go and tell Jesus this. And then Jesus responds with this little teaching. And he says, and they say, these people want to see you, Jesus. And then Jesus goes on to say, he says, let me tell you about seeds, which is very Jesus-like. These people want to see you. Let me tell you about seeds. <laughs> and he says, in the same way that you take a seed 
And if you don't do anything with it, it remains only a seed. But if you bury it, it, is, it is, comes up to new life and is multiplied a hundredfold. In the same way, it's almost like he's saying in the same way that as you, you bury the seed and you receive back the free gift of a work of art, in that same way, when you bury me, you will receive back more than you ever expected. These people say, we want to see you, Jesus. And, it, and he says, well, look at a seed. It's almost as if this is an icon, a window into how the divine works. That when you, that there's this, this image of, of burial and the gift of new life multiplying out far more than you ever expected. It's this icon. And, you, and then I found myself this week thinking about how many seeds are in the world. And I wonder, like, it's almost as if the world is like in millions and billions and trillions and quadrillions of seeds, like the world is saturated and drenched with these little icons of life from death multiplying out beyond what we ever expected. We're surrounded these images of, of resurrection. We're surrounded these images of grace. We're surrounded with this pattern of as one dies to oneself for the sake of others, that is how life is given beyond ourselves. And I just, I find myself thinking about like how when, when, when God says avad and shamar, that it's not just for creation, but it's for me too. To shape, to shape my heart, that I wouldn't, that there's this sense that God wants to speak to me about his gift-giving nature, about his pattern of, of, of dying and life for others, that God wants to speak to me about that I don't get to just build things. Sometimes you have to grow things, and building and growing are very different. There's a patience and cooperation involved in growing. And that God might want to be shaping us through Avad and Shamar. So this is, um, this is the invitation for us this week. If you would, um, would you take these home? If you would do this, and as, a, as a, a house, like with your housemates or your small group or your family, however you'd like to do it, um, there's instructions in the back. Don't plan it this week because I'm not a cultivator, but I'm told that they need to be planted in September, October. There's instructions in the back, but take this home, and I would invite you to, to find a place, and even to do it with some others, to find a place to plant these, sow these seeds, and, and, and let them be an image, an icon, a window into heaven for you, that, that next, next springtime, when you most likely, I know I will have long forgotten about this, would moved on to many other things. All winter long, these would just be waiting in the darkness. And that next springtime, that, that as they emerge, this free gift of a work of art next springtime, that it will remind you of the God who gives unexpected gifts, the God who works through waiting in darkness and then blessing with a work of art. They would remind you of those things. Uh, Avad and Shamar. Avad and Shamar. And perhaps even that we would ask ourselves, what have we been given to Avad and Shamar? What have you been given to Avad and Shamar?
What, what corner of this land, this garden of God's, have you been given to Avad and Shamarim? What might God desire to say to you, to reveal to you, to shape in you, to speak to you through that? May we be people that carry out this priestly work well. Let's pray together. Lord God, uh, this, this world that you have placed us in, um, its bigness and its wildness and its unexpectedness and its sense that we can't control it, but it's a gift to us. Lord, uh, you, uh, you speak to us through that. And even as you invite us to interact with it and care for it and cultivate it, you keep, your voice keeps coming to us. Um, and there are so many ways I admit, Lord, that I can, I can domesticate you and, and tame you and, 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 and trick myself into thinking that you're manageable. But would you even, for us this week, as we engage with your world, as we cultivate, would you speak to us again uh, in the ways that each of us needs about just your gift-giving nature, your graciousness, your patient work in the darkness, how you break, bring big things from little things, how you bring life from death. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.